Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Pesach, getting ready for Pesach, touch on some uh, thoughts on the Haggadah, and also um, what, 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 what's, what's at the root of Pesach, um, and, and what, what, what journey are we all going on, especially at, at this time during the year. Um, it's so central and uh, really touches on just why we were created, why the world exists itself, um, and can also um, help to give us uh, a level of focus and a game plan that's really, uh, that's really I think, right on and, and very, very practical. Um, but you'll see the, the topics that we're going to be talking about touch on, on absolutely everything. So, so let's just begin, because we just had Shabbos Haggadol, uh, translated as, as the Great Shabbos, and there's only one Shabbos in the year, that, that has that title, the Great Shabbos, and that's the one that happens every single year before Pesach. So, I'll give you two explanations. Um, one that I just learned that is, I, I think, just so encompassing and, and, and just, just wonderful from the Sfasemis. But um, let's just begin with a, more of a foundational idea from Reb Leibola Eger, who, who points out that um, we know from the Zohar that that the Shabbos um, that precedes the week, any week, is the, is the source of blessing for the entire week that's going to follow. So in other words, all of the blessings that are coming during the week come down in the Shabbos before the week. So if the week contains Pesach, that means the light of Pesach, the light of redemption. And remember, all future redemptions are based on, are based on the, um, the Pesach redemption itself. So in other words, Mashiach and, and, and the entire big picture is contained within, within Pesach. And the Shabbos before Pesach contains the light of Pesach. So therefore, um, it would be very understandable to understand that the Shabbos before Pesach would be called Shabbos HaGadol, the great Shabbos. But now, listen to what the Sfasemis says, something even more uh, encompassing than that, which is that... Um, you know, the, the, the lunar year contains 50 Shabbases. Like, I, I, never, I never did the math before. That's, that's very interesting. Remember, the, the lunar year is 11 days shorter than the solar year. So the lunar year contains 50 Shabbases. The Zohar mentions that, that the Torah has 50 mentions of leaving Egypt. That, that means that every Shabbos, there's an aspect to leaving Egypt. We're going to go more into that, God willing, later. But Shab- Now, there's also, in, if you want to think metaphysically in terms of a, a map of the universe, right? Including the spiritual worlds, there are also 50 levels, right? There are 50 gates. And the top gate is called the Shar Hamishim, the 50th gate. This is like the top, 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 top. So if there are 50 Shabbases in the year and 50 mentions of leaving Egypt and 50 gates, the top gate, the Shar Hamishim, correlates with Shabbos HaGadol. So that means that's the root Shabbos of all Shabbases of leaving Egypt on every single level are contained within Shabbos HaGadol. That's, that's, the Svasemis, right? That's, that's amazing. That's, that's, that's amazing. That means that every, 
every Shabbos, we're leaving an aspect of Mitzrayim, of Egypt. Okay. So, so now, let's talk about this. Um, let's ground all of this um, in, in, in a very real way, in terms of our own personal lives and, and, and what this means to us on a, uh, in, a, in a very practical way. You see, you know, sometimes, like Pesach, for instance, is, is as good an example as, as, as any. Sometimes um, a, a holiday, and all the holidays are so rich and so amazing, we can, we can really focus on the holiday, but, um, but, but sometimes we miss another point, which is sometimes an even bigger point, which is the, the, the larger journey that we're on, right? And there's a larger journey taking place that Pesach is, is the beginning of. And in other words, it really goes from Pesach to Shavuos. Shavuos, of course, is the holiday where we receive the Torah at Mount Sinai, right? So, so on the one hand, we're, we're leaving Egypt, and there's a lot of, a lot of work that, that needs to be done in order really to, to be up to that task. On the other hand, though, we have to view it in the larger context that we're not just leaving one place, we're going to another place. See, that's, that's very important because a lot of times in our lives, we just want to get out, right? We want to leave a relationship. We want to leave a job. We want to leave a city, you know? But where we're going isn't as clear. And it's very important that a person has a direction, and I heard my Rebbe say, Reb Shlomo Karlbach said, that a person can't be free unless they know where they're going. You see, because if you just leave a set of confines and you don't have a direction, then you're still a slave. You're just a slave to your own desires of the moment because you don't have a greater plan. You see, so you haven't really left this idea of servitude yet. You need a plan. You need a direction in order to be free. So now, this journey expresses itself in a very, in a very, very interesting way. Because we're going from matzah and Pesach, and we'll get into what matzah is. We're going from matzah and Pesach. You see. Let me just, just make it just a little bit clear before we, we fully make the point. There are very few things in Torah that are 100% permitted at one moment, and the next moment, if you do it, your soul is cut off from heaven. Right? It's, it's very unusual to have something that has this, this double-edged quality to it. Right? So, so bread is one of these things. Like, for instance, in order to really properly keep Shabbos, you have to have three meals on Shabbos. And, and a meal is, is, um, is, is, is uh, defined by eating bread. Okay? So you don't, like, you might think, oh, a meal is like, oh, I'm sitting at a table with a lot of people. You can be by yourself with two rolls. That's, that's a meal. Okay? It doesn't have to be anything elaborate. But it has to be something, it, it has to be based, 
See, Torah is amazing in its ability to actually define things. And, and a lot of people who don't understand and who are outside this, um, this, this, this level of, of, of closeness to the vision of what Torah is trying to communicate understand this plethora, this abundance of definitions as just sort of like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> like, you're just like, like, like you're just throwing all these like, like restrictions at me and I, I can't take it, right? But there's, there's a, a much deeper insight, which is that clarity is being given because definitions are being made, which means neurosis is being, is being exiled. <laughs> because when there's no clarity, when there's doubt, there's confusion and ultimately depression. You have to know what something is, and then you're either doing it or you're not doing it. God willing, you'll do it eventually. It doesn't mean you have to do everything at once. You, you have a Rebbe, you have a friend, you have a teacher, whatever it is, and you have insight into your own level, and then you proceed at an understandable rate. You understand? But the actual definition itself, you need the map itself. You see, there's no, no one is giving you any, any gift to tell you, put you in the middle of a forest at night and spin you around and then say, good luck. And you say, wow, I have all the freedom in the world, but I'm so lost and I don't know how to get out. Well, what did you do for me? So, so you gave me this wonderful gift of listening to my heart. <laughs> I'm listening to my heart. I'm still stuck in the forest and I'm 50 years old. What kind of gift did you give me? Right? So, but with a map, okay, now, now I know. Now I know where everything is. Now whether I want to, you know, the pace in which I follow the map and everything like that, okay, that's, that's, that's up to me. But at least I know a direction. So, so, so bread is something that, that when I'm, I'm saying that we, we define what is a meal by bread. So, so here you see that you, you need bread. <laughs> bread. You can't have Shabbos without bread. You need it. Challah, right? Whatever it is. You need it. But on Pesach, if you're eating bread, it's an Isarkaris. This is the highest level of doing something wrong. So how can it be? On the one hand, it's like the biggest mitzvah. Right? And one second later, ah, it's absolutely forbidden. Alright, but that's not the whole story. Now we're ready for the next part, which is one of the special offerings that we make on Shavuos. Right? Remember, this is... Um, this is one of the cycles of the year, one of the key cycles of the year. And in many ways, it's the key cycle of the year, which is the journey from Pesach to Shavuos, from leaving Egypt to going to Mount Sinai to get the Torah. One of the special offerings that we make on Shavuos is to bring bread to the Beis Migdash. And it wasn't put on the Mizbeach, on the altar, because that couldn't have chametz on it, bread on it, but they would lean it against the altar. So, so now, now let's, let's, 
see it very simply. There's a journey going on where you're going from you need bread before Pesach, right? You need it for Shabbos. You have to have bread, right? To no bread! (laughs) No bread! Matzah! It's got to be matzah. And then, you need bread! (laughs) You're not just, you don't just need bread because it's going to be Shabbos again. No, you need bread because that's part of the the observance of Shavuos, of receiving the Torah itself. So, so this is not just a, um, I'm not just talking about ritual here. Bread, no bread, eh, what are you talking about? These, each one of these things is like, is the capital of, of a major, is it major work and major avod and major focus. And we'll get into what that cycle actually means. We're just talking about it, the very tip of the iceberg right now. Right? We'll, we'll, get, we'll get into it more, what that actually means, right? Okay. So, so let's just talk about the fact that we, we start with bread. Because on Shavuos Hagadol, which we say contains everything, right? You need bread. <laughs> the light of Pesach is coming down. So why don't we start eating matzah on Shavuos Hagadol if the, the light of Pesach is coming down? But no, you see, you need bread there, okay? So, you know, it's very interesting that... Um, that we'll talk about, you know, this, this really, what I'm about to say, I'm going to talk about men right now. But everything I'm saying really applies, spiritually speaking, to, to men and women. Okay. But, 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 but the specifics apply to men right now. Um, you know, if you look at the human body, it's so, I mean, I would do it a disservice. It would be an understatement to say it's amazing and intricate and miraculous and everything like that. But certainly it's all of those things, right? And God created this amazing construct called the human body, right? And um, anyway, that's clear. So let me ask you this. We have this mitzvah that, that, uh, that a man has a bris milah, a, a circumcision. Is it even conceivable that God can create this phenomenally, phenomenally, elaborate structure called a human being and he didn't have the power to remove a little tiny flap of skin from a boy? (laughs) Right? Like, oh, I'm great at hearts and organs, but (laughs) tiny pieces of skin I'm not great at. And particularly in that area. I just haven't quite figured out, like, how to do that. Right? I mean, that makes no sense. It's, it's, It's a ridiculous, it's a completely ridiculous thought. Obviously, it's by design and it's by intention. God gave us the responsibility to complete his creation. And this is true in the the widest sense. God, from the very outset of creation, made us partners with him in terms of finishing the creation. Right? That's the glory of the human being, that we're partners with God with finishing the world. And you see that expressed. You see that expressed in 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 the idea of, of, of the bris, right? That that God calls upon us to just finish off the job. Okay. So that means that we're 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 born in a way that still needs some work. We have to be reined in on some level, right? 
That's, that's also what the bris means, because the, the bris for a man means sort of like the, the headquarters of, of desire, and, and sort of like kind of doing your own thing, you know? And so the idea is that by, by doing this mitzvah, by observing this mitzvah, we are sort of taking upon ourselves a level that, you know what? I'm not completely running the show here. By any means, I'm, I'm, I'm answering to a higher power. Okay. So we start with this idea of bread. We start with this idea of bread. But then we switch to this idea of matzah. Because matzah is, I'm completely given over to you, God. Matzah is, you see, you see, let me tell you the difference between, and this is um, the B'nai Asaskar is making this point. You see, what happens when matzah turns into bread? Right? Matzah is a completely, not in the FDA sense, but in the spiritual sense, a completely controlled substance. <laughs> Meaning to say, you watch over it like shmura matzah, which ideally we, we have the merit of having at our Seder table. You, you really want to have the shmura matzah. What does that mean, shmura matzah? That means guarded, guarded matzah. What does that mean? That means from the time that the seeds are planted for the wheat, from the time the wheat grows up, forget about the processing of the wheat, from the time of the growing of the wheat, it's watched over to make sure that it doesn't come into contact with, with any comments, right? That it's just completely watched over. And then they grind it into, into the flour and everything like that, and then you make it into matzah, and it's got to be cooked for a certain time, and it can't be left alone, right? Because when you leave it alone, it starts to rise, and it starts to do its own thing. And the whole idea of matzah is it's completely flat. It's completely given over to God. It's completely under the control of the craftsman. This is why, Kabbalistically speaking, we say that matzah is like the highest soul medicine. And I heard in the name of the Ari that if you eat matzah and you really eat it properly that it actually guards you from sin the entire year. And it purifies your soul. It's an amazing thing. When you have the opportunity, God willing, all of us will, Seder night to eat matzah, savor it. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Every bite should be like this amazing moment of dveikaskite, of, of, of closeness with God. The chewing of it and just, uh, just the whole thing is like an amazing, amazing experience. Okay, so then, but if you leave matzah by itself, you see, what happens is it starts to grow in its own way. It starts to rise in its own way. And that's what we call ego. Now, I always want to make the point, whenever we mention ego, to make the distinction between ego and self-esteem. You need self-esteem. You've got to love yourself on some level. You have to, because that's the... That's the engine which allows you to, to do everything, that allows you to get out of bed in the morning. You need self-esteem. Ego, by contrast, means attributing power to yourself that you don't have. All right? I'm not talking in the Freudian context right now. I'm just talking about in the Torah context. Ego means that I'm ascribing power to myself that I don't have. Okay? 
So when the matzah rises up, this is an expression of ego. And so the idea is we have to get to a place where we understand that God is running the show. That God's running the show and that I'm a creation of God. You see, remember, we say it all the time from the, from the Ishbitzer, something just endlessly deep. He says that deep, 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 deep down, every single person thinks that they created themselves. Right? Now we know, rationally speaking, it's not true. We know we have parents. And yet deep, 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 deep down, on an emotional level, each one of us thinks that we created ourselves. So matzah is getting rid of that thought. Matzah is coming to say we are a creation. Right? Now let me tell you how deep that goes. The eating of the matzah. Because the Rebbe's explain that again on a very deep level, the eating of the matzah is coming to fix the eating from the Eitzadas. Right? The, the, the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. You see, what is the whole concept of eating? Okay? So, eating is a very powerful, very powerful construct. You know, when we, when we eat, what we're doing is we're internalizing something. You see, when, 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 when you talk about when two people want to become closer with each other, right? They talk about, let's break bread. Like, that's an ancient expression of closeness, that some kind of closeness happens over sharing a meal together. And that's because you literally, again, this is a, a spiritual idea, but it's, it, there's an emotional reality to it. By sitting down together and eating together, you are internalizing your togetherness. Do you understand? So, so what happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden? We internalize the concept that we are God. Right? Because remember, that's what the snake said. Oh, eat from the tree, because then you'll be God like God. And now with this in mind, you can understand something very, very fascinating. Which is, one of the opinions in the Gemara, they're different opinions. What was the fruit from the tree of knowledge? Now, very surprisingly, one of the opinions is that the fruit from the tree of knowledge was wheat. Now you say, well, wait a second, wheat? wheat doesn't grow on trees, that much I know, right? Wheat grows from the ground up, not from the top down. So what do you, what do you mean? But now listen to the wisdom of this. You see, what happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge was there was a paradigm shift in terms of how we perceived reality. It was no longer going from the top down. Now we had internalized this concept that we were God on some level. And now it's going from the bottom up. And here you see that there was a shift in the nature of the world itself, that wheat now starts growing from the ground up, which was an expression of our own perception of predominance in the world. Do you hear? Now, let's take this a step further. Because I told you that when we're going, that, that part of this process of leaving Egypt is not just 
leaving Egypt, that we're going to Mount Sinai. And just to further contextualize this so that you understand this, just how primary this thought is. When Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moses was given the, the job of taking the Jews out of Egypt, that took place when God spoke to Moshe at the burning bush. So the question is, where was the burning bush? And the Torah tells you very clearly, it was at Mount Sinai. So the entire beginning of the taking out of Egypt begins at Mount Sinai in order to bring the Jews to Mount Sinai. What did we say that the offering of Shavuos is, which celebrates the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai? Bread. What are we eating? Shabbos Haggadol. Bread. Because it begins with the whole idea of going back to Mount Sinai with the observance of Mount Sinai. What does it say in Gomorrah Nida? That every single person in their mother's stomach, right before they're born, learns the entire Torah. You receive the entire Torah. That's bread, right? We start with that level. But then we come out, and we have to get to this point where we uproot this false notion that we internalized at, in the Garden of Eden, which is that we're full and we're fully developed and we're running the show. And we have to uproot that idea and get back to the level of matzah. Then once we ground ourselves in truth, which is matzah, then we can redevelop and start again from a point of truth and get to the place where we can be bred, but the type of bread that can be brought as an offering in the base of Migdash. So how do you go? How do we individually in our lives go from being matzah to being bread? The question is, let me explain what that, what that really means. How can I use all of my personality and all of my talents and all of the things that God's gifted me with and all of the free choice that he's blessed me with so that when I rise from matzah into bread that I'm the type of offering and fully realized human being that can be brought to the base of Migdash, and that I'm not the type of bread that's sort of like, no, you can't eat that bread on Pesach, you get cut off completely. So this question is the central question of humanity since day one, literally. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to go from this process of becoming matzah to becoming bread. This is the entire whole history of humanity in one expression. And we get to act it out. We get to work on it and realize it in real life. That's what's happening. It's the fixing of the entire world that's taking place. And toward that end, just so you understand the significance of what it means to bring bread on, on Shavuos, on the giving of the Torah, the Gomorrah says that 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 is the rectification of the tree of knowledge. Because, because now we've gone from taking that wheat and doing bad with it in the, in the Garden of Eden to the point where we've rectified it through acceptance of the Torah and now we can bring it again as a positive offer. We've completely 
flipped it over and rectified it and made this amazing tikkun. And that's why we're bringing bread. The very wheat that we ate in Gan Eden when God asked us not to yet. And now all of a sudden it's become this sanctified holy thing again. And it's talking about us too. Because we're becoming that. Okay, so, so let's go further. See, because we're seeing this, we're seeing this flipping around. You see, matzah, matzah is the product of a craftsman. We too are a product of God, the, the, the greatest, the greatest craftsman. You know, the, the Gomorrah talks about God in the context of being a craftsman. And one of the things it points out is it says that, you know, when, when uh, we make a coin, for instance, we mint a coin, every coin in that particular design looks the same. But when God mints a person, so to speak, makes a person, no two people look alike. <laughs> it's just one... One tiny, tiny taste of the infinite creativity and amazingness of God, right? So why not just say, okay, I got a new brand, it's called People, and here it is, right? And yet you see within this category of people, everyone is different. You know, and just I can't not say this Torah because it's such a, one of my favorites. The Katska Rebbe says that, you know, you're not surprised when you meet someone who doesn't look like you. So why are you so surprised when you meet someone who doesn't think like you? <laughs> right? So, so but, but, but this is, again, this, 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 amazing, this, this amazing aspect of the richness of creation that, that we get to participate in. Okay. So, so how do we go from matzah how do we go from matzah to bread? So I guess the question is, in terms of our growing, right? In terms of our growing, because, because we can start off as matzah. We can, we, we, and, and, and Pesach, we're, we're understanding God created the world. It's God's world. We're guests in this world. We're servants of God. We, we're, 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 we're here to, to, to reveal his oneness, right? If we can get those, those foundational aspects down, then, then we've achieved this level of, of matzah. But now comes the trickier thing, because now you have to become bread in the, in the classic form of bread, right? In the idealized form of bread. In other words, now you have to grow and you have to assimilate your own free will and your own talents and your own unique way of perceiving the world, but to do it in a way that's still in harmony with the divine principles. Now, one of the obstacles to, to achieving that is when a person experiences hardship. Okay? Because when you confront challenge, you say... Okay, God, you know what? You, you want it this way. I want it that way. 
this is where we part company, right? Whether a person does it consciously or unconsciously, there comes a point where you have a desire, where we all have a desire, and it's not consistent with perhaps the heavenly plan, and we say, God, I'm going my way. You know, good luck to you. So, so these are, so to speak, crossroad moments in our life. And for all of us, really, on some level, they're happening every single day. Right? Hopefully not every moment of every day. <laughs> but on some level, if you want to be real, every day. Right? Because we have a Yetzirah. We have, we have a, an angel assigned to each one of us, which is trying to pull us in another direction. Right? So let's get into this idea of this angel. Like, what's going on with this angel? You'll see some very deep ideas now, okay? You see, I, I forgot the name of the Rebbe, I'm sorry, but someone came to a Rebbe and said, you know, like, what's going on with me in my life right now, it's very bad. And the Rebbe says back to him, don't say it's bad, say it's bitter. See, that, that might sound like a simple idea, but it's a very deep idea. Nothing that comes from God is bad. But many things are very bitter. And this is difficult, because when we experience this bitterness, these are the moments when we say, God, I'm, you know what? I'm, I know you know everything, but it happens to be in this particular instance I know better. <laughs> you know? I mean, we don't say these words, but this is, this is what we're thinking on the deepest level. Right? So I'm going to do it my way. So how can we get in tune with this idea of staying with God even when things get bitter? That's, that's a lot of times like, like the, the, the real... If a person wants to become bread and make this journey successfully from matzah to bread, they have to be able to wrap their minds around these moments of bitterness. They have to. Okay? Now listen to this. The Bnei Yisachar gets into an analysis of the dynamics of the angel of evil. Okay? And we're going to learn some interesting things now. God like. So the, the angel of evil, um, and remember, evil, um, it says in Baba Basra, in the, in the Gomorrah, we have three main components, um, again, heavenly speaking. We have what's called the Satan, which um, is like, it's an obstacle, it's a roadblock. It can also be known as the heavenly accuser. We have the Malach Maves, which is known as the angel of death, which attacks the body. Then we have the Yetzirah, which attacks like the Neshama, basically, and tries to confuse a person, or we'll see blind a person, and, and bring them to another place. But all of these three forces are contained within the name Samol. And normally speaking, we don't say the name so much in Torah discussions. We refer to it as the Samech Mem, okay? which are the first two letters of this name. So, the Samech Mem, the B'nai Yisachar, points out that 
even it has an aspect of light and godliness to it. And the reason it does is because if you say otherwise, then you're saying there's pure evil in the world and there's pure good in the world, which means there's two powers. And the whole essence of Judaism is Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, which means there's only one power. Echad, there's only one power, which means evil works for good. Right? So the tests that we get sent are from God in order to bring out the greatness within ourselves. Okay? So, so the B'nai Saskar says, you see this in the name of the angel of evil itself. Because we know that one of the names of God is, uh, I'll say it just for teaching purposes now, El, right? Oftentimes we'll refer to it as Kel, but it's Aleph Lamed. That's, that's this name of God. If you look at the angel of evil, how do you spell it? Samech Mem Aleph Lamed. Here you see the battery pack in the name itself. <laughs> you see this name of God in, 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 in the angel's name itself, which means that even within this angel of evil, that ultimately it's deriving its power and its strength from God. Do you see? So there's nothing purely bad or purely evil at all. Everything is only emanating from one source, which is God. Now, I was thinking that perhaps one of the kavanas, one of the holy intentions, why people refer to this angel by the name Samech Mem, perhaps, is to divorce it from its Aleph Lamed, from this name of God. In other words, to deactivate it. Do you hear? By not, by not mentioning the name of God within its name itself, you're sort of taking out its battery pack, so to speak. So perhaps that's a kavana you can have in mind if you ever refer to this Samech Mem. But now, let's go even deeper. Remember, we said, we said, bitter, not bad. Right? Because when we experience bitterness, why? Why is it? Why, why are we experiencing bitterness? Why? So you say, oh, you know, just my luck. God's in a bad mood today. Right? I mean, this is just, it's too superficial. It's, or just my luck. During this period of my life, from the day I was born to the day I died, God was in a really bad mood. <laughs> it's beyond stupidity. We, we, we can't even approach to say such a thing. It's so stupid. Right? So anytime we experience an aspect of hardship, it's in order to bring out something within ourselves or to rectify something from ourselves, perhaps from this lifetime, perhaps from a previous lifetime, perhaps from something that's going to happen in the future that we have to fix now, perhaps for our children or our grandchildren. We don't know. We don't know. But whatever it is, it's coming for the good. Now, with this in mind, listen to something amazing. From again, from the B'nai Sashar, we have a in terms of the Samech Mem, understanding another depth to the Samech Mem. We have a system of gematria known as Atbash. It's in it's in the Gemara in in Masechta Shabbos uh, Kuf Dalit, which in itself is an Atbash, as you'll see. 
So how does Atbash work? There's 22 letters in the, in the Hebrew alphabet. So you take the first 11 letters, right? And then underneath that line of 11 letters, you put the next 11 letters. So you have two lines, one above the other, of 11 letters, okay? And you arrange them in sort of a, a horseshoe fashion so that the Aleph is actually on top of the Taf, the last letter of the alphabet. And the Bez, the second letter of the alphabet, is above the Shin, the second to last letter of the alphabet. So that's how you have At Bash. Okay? Now, with this system, and again, this system is from the Gomorrah itself, from this system, what you can do is you can take certain Hebrew words, any Hebrew word really, and you can find what is its counterpart in Atbash. What is the letter above it or the letter below it, if you, if you understand these two lines of letters? And it's a system of letter exchange where you can see depths in, certain, in terms of certain words. Right? You can really plumb the mystical depths of certain words. Okay? So you want to see, so, so what did we say? All bitterness, right, is really coming from good. So what are the letters Samech Mem in Atbash? And you know what it spells in Atbash? Chai, which is life. Ches Unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. So now... This whole flipping over, which takes place, right? This whole leaving Egypt, going from exile to freedom, which is Pesach, which is Matzah, which is turning our hardship into something good. You know, Shabbos, it came to me. The Matzah that we eat comes in two shapes. There's the circular Matzah, that's the letter Samach. Then there's the square Matzah, that's the letter Mem. Right? And as we're chewing, right, we're like just transforming all the hardship into light. So what's another obstacle that confronts us in terms of our, our going from, from, from matzah to, to bread? So it's, the question is, how are we reacting to these bitter moments in our life? So I just heard a, a wonderful story from my brother-in-law about uh, Moshe Sher, who is one of the leaders of the Jewish people. Um, you know, uh, he, he was recently uh, nifter, about maybe, I don't know, several years ago, but he was really one of the leaders in the Aguda movement and represented the Jewish people for many, many years. When he was a little boy, he was dying. And his mother had no money. And he needed an antibiotic. And in, that, in those days, antibiotics were very expensive. And the boy was really on the brink of death. And the mother finally got the money that she needed. And she ran to the pharmacy. She got the prescription filled. And she's running. You can imagine a mother running to save her son's life. She's running to, to her son. And she trips and falls and the bottle smashes, and the antibiotic goes away. And she's completely broken. She doesn't have, she doesn't have the money to replace it, and her son's life is on the line. 
crying, she goes back into the pharmacy and she shows the, the, the man behind the counter. The man behind the counter, the first man was a worker there, but this was now the owner she was talking to. He goes and he's looking and he looks at the prescription and he looks what he was given and he says, oh my God, I'm so sorry. If your son had taken this medicine, he would have died. We gave you the wrong prescription. You see many amazing things from this story. One, when it looks like the worst things are happening, how do you know? How do you know that your life is not being saved at that moment? Let me tell you another Gomorrah from Nida. Amazing, amazing Gomorrah. Which is, two men are, are going to take a, a trip on a ship, and it's a business trip, it's a big business trip, very important. One of the men steps on a thorn, the thorn gets in his foot, he's immobilized, he can't move, he can't go on the business trip, he's absolutely angry, he's cursing God, the other one is, is getting on the ship, right? Like, imagine, like, you know, who knows how long he's been hoping and working on this business deal, whatever it is. He can't go. The ship sinks. But the, the Gomorrah goes further. It says, you see, we think of miracles as those moments where God becomes fully revealed and there's total clarity. But the Gomorrah points to something Phenomenal, a very deep insight into life, which is at the moment that a person's life is saved, they're not even aware of it. Not only are people not even aware of it, but often we're experiencing it as the deepest bitterness. What an insight. You know, it's so important for us to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says that when you give someone the benefit of the doubt, you bring peace into the world. How about giving God the benefit of the doubt? Right? I'll tell you another thing that I learned from this story. When she smashed that bottle, you know what? You know, when I told you this story, you think, of course she ran back into the pharmacy. Who says she had to run back into the pharmacy? She could have run to a bar. She could have thrown herself in front of a, a truck. She could have just laid there crying. She got up and she did something. You see, one of the th things that I think is so important is that is that sometimes people don't understand what the Torah vision of a spiritual person is. We think, oh, it has to be someone with great faith. That's an element of it, but it's just one element of it. It's also a person of action. Sometimes a person will use their own religiosity as a, an excuse and as a cover for passivity, 
which is not what the Torah is asking for. She went back into the pharmacy. She made that follow-up phone call, right, in our lives. She resent that email. Did you get this the first time? That's very important because the way, remember when the sea splits, the Medrash says that the sea didn't split until Nachshon jumped into the waters. Right? So, just on one level, sometimes God wants us to turn the ignition key. Right? It's, it's waiting for us. But we have to take that action. And it's a misappropriation of spirituality to say, oh, I'm such a great person of belief. God, you do it. Because secretly I'm afraid. And I'm so afraid and I don't believe you're going to do it. So let's just call it religiosity and on to the next thing. <laughs> doesn't work. It doesn't work. If we want Mashiach, it doesn't work. It's good for the exile. It's great for the exile. But if we want to finish the job of creation, it does, it, it's not enough. And believe me, I'm talking to myself too. Believe me, I'm, I'm hiding here and I'm hiding there also. You know? And there are many actions that I haven't taken that I should have taken. Believe me. I'm, 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 I'm guilty or more guilty. But at least I'm trying to understand it, you know? So we get to this moment where it's sort of like, okay, God, this is hard for me. So, so what does a person do at that moment when they experience this bitterness? Now, let's get another insight into bitterness from the B'nai Asaskar. He says, you know, if you look in the Haggadah, it says that unless a person does these three things, they haven't had a Seder. So what are the three things? Pesach, Matzah, Maror. You have to say those three things. Right? So Pesach, we know that's the Korban Pesach. Right? Then you have Matzah. And then you have Maror. He points out something very interesting. What's, what's wrong with that sequence? It's chronologically out of order. Because Maror represents bitterness. Maror is the thing that we had first. What, do you, what is the Haggadah putting it last for? Pesach and Matzah represent freedom, and then, then we have the bitterness? What's going on? So what the B'nai Yitzhakar says is, if you stay with God, if you stay with God, you'll get over the hump, right? And then you'll realize that the maror was really for the good. But you don't understand the bitterness until after it's over that it was for the good. And I think a lot of us in our own lives on a small level have all experienced things that we felt were negative and in retrospect we saw that it was positive. Right? So I think on some level we know the truth of this. So the maror is coming last 
in order to show us that once we achieve freedom, essentially, we'll be able to look back and we'll see that the morrow is for the good. But a lot of times, when a person is going through the struggle itself, it's very hard to communicate to them that this is an expression of God's goodness. And in fact, in Perke Avos, it says that if a person is in front of a, a, a dead loved one, that that's not the time to console them. They can't receive it at that moment. You have to understand when to and how to console a person. Alright, so now, let's go further and talk about another obstacle, another challenge to us from going from matzah to bread in our own lives. Okay? And that's this idea, I heard it from Rabbi Seinsaltz, something very, very interesting. He says, you know, when you're making matzah, you, you have to work with the dough at all times. Okay? If you leave the dough by itself, like let's say you, you roll it out and it's completely kosher, it's, it's shmor matzah, it's been watched from the time it's been growing, and everything has been super, super, super holy, and you've rolled it out, and it's ready to become matzah, and then you go to the movies and you come back. <laughs> it's no good, it became chametz. You left it alone. You left it alone. It became chametz. So now listen to this. Rabbi Seinsold says there's certain things that we put into our hearts at certain times in our life and we left them alone and they became chomets. And that these ideas at certain stages of our life may have been kosher at that stage of our life, but at this stage of our life, because we stopped working with the idea, they became chomets. See, all of us, God willing, are growing. You know? And there are certain belief systems that in our life, you know, like a lot of people like have gone on an Eastern journey and things like that and all sorts of things. I, I've been on my own journeys exploring all different types of paths and different types of things, right? And at that point in my life, that was actually helping me to grow. It was. But at this stage in my life, if I didn't continue to explore, if I didn't continue to search for truth, right? It's, it's just chametz. Which means that whatever level we're on throughout our entire lives, we can't stop working the dough. We can't stop searching for truth. And the moment that you stop working the dough, it turns into chametz. I'll say it another way. As soon as you think you've gotten it right, <laughs> and I'm talking about in a self-satisfied way, like, don't say, okay, now I think the Torah is true, so, you know, i got to keep on working. Maybe there's something else. No. The Torah is the truth. The mitzvot are our path in life. That's the truth. But there's going to always be variations and questions in what do I do this moment? 
Remember, the Ishbitzer Rebbe says, the deepest question a person can ask is, how can I serve God at this moment? Right? Now, this is within the Torah context. Right? But every single moment a person has a question, do I, what do I do? You know? I'm online at Ralph's right now. What do I do? What do I do? There's a person I can smile at. There's a person who I can say hello to. There's a magazine cover I cannot look at. Right? <laughs> right? I mean, the amount of, you know, computer viruses you can put into your brain just from reading the cover of magazines. I'm not even talking about opening a magazine. You know, it's, it's, it's terrifying, actually. So working within these concepts, remember, I always like to say that as soon as a person thinks that they've arrived, that's the greatest proof that they haven't arrived. Right? And then that means, you know, this aspect of humility. Remember, what do we call a master of Torah, usually? I mean, one, one expression of that is we say that the person's a, a Talmud Chacham. So how would you, what do you think the translation of Talmud Chacham is? It means a wise student. So we're calling our masters students? That's right, exactly, exactly. Because part of one's mastery is understanding that you don't never stop being a student. Because if I'm finite and God is infinite, how can all of a sudden I, I be anything but a student? And if I stop, God forbid, learning, then what kind of teacher am I at that point? It's a disaster. It's a train wreck. Okay. So I want to wrap it up. And um, maybe should we say one more idea? Or just, yeah, okay. Maybe we would say one more idea. So, so this idea is sort of kind of bringing the big picture together. It says... In the Torah, there are two different places where we have the Ten Commandments in the Torah. In Parshas Yisra and in Parshas Vieschana. In one place, it says that we keep Shabbos in order to remember how God created the world. Right? And in fact, when you make Kiddush Friday night, you say, Right? You're, you're reciting the paragraph from the Torah, which is the seventh day of creation, the completion of creation. Right? So Shabbos is remembering that God created the world. You're testifying that God created the world, actually. Right? In Parshas Vieschanan, it says that we're keeping Shabbos to remember that God took us out of Egypt. So what are we keeping Shabbos for? Is it to remember that God created the world, or is it to remember that God took us out of Egypt? So if you want to, if you want to be a little bit deep, you'd say both. Right? But if you want to be much deeper, you say, ah, it's the same thing. <laughs> so how is the creation of the world and God taking us out of Egypt the same thing? All right, so now let's get a little bit deep again. 
See, the Chidush Arim, I'm sure all the Rebbes point out that there's a big, interesting thing that you see. Have you ever noticed this, this, this theme? We've got um, that God created the world with ten utterances, that we have ten sphirot, that we have ten commandments, right, or ten sayings, the Asaras Adibros, ten sayings, right, at Harsina, and we have ten plagues, Right? Ever like wonder like what's the through line, so to speak? Like why all these tens? What's going on? Okay? So what happened was in Egypt everything got totally encrusted. Meaning to say the truth of the world had become completely vanquished. The intensity of idol worship was so overwhelming that the truth of the world had been lost. I heard from Rabbi Aaron, he said that why did God put the Jews in Egypt? We could have been slaves in India, right? Or China or something like this, right? Why why Egypt? Because if Moshe had done the miracles, right? In India, say, you know what the people of India would say? Hey, that's pretty good magic, but you should try it on the Egyptians because their magic is better than your magic. So God put us in the capital of black magic, the capital of Avodah Zorah, of idol worship, to show that there's no power to any of this in the entire world, to knock out the construct completely. So how did God do it? How did God do it? If you study the ten plagues, you'll see that there's a systematic knocking out of all of the false ideologies of Egypt, of all the false powers of Egypt. So what Hashem did was, first with the ten plagues, he knocked out falsehood. Then he brought us to Mount Sinai, and he gave us the Aseris Adibros, he gave us the Torah, which through the knocking out of those ten falsehoods opened us up to the truths of the world, the root of the truths of the world, which brings us back these ten utterances, the Aseris Adibros, that's how you say it in Hebrew, we, we translate it as the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments opened up our souls and our minds to the ten utterances of creation in the ten sphere of, which restored our knowledge of God as the creator of the world. So you see God taking us out of Egypt, and God creating the world, the knowledge that God created the world, are one and the same. Now with this in mind, you see something absolutely amazing. I have to kiss my brother-in-law over and over again for teaching me this over Shabbos. If you look at the end of the Torah into the beginning of the Torah, remember, because the Torah is endless. It's endless, endless. What do we do on Simcha's Torah? We go from the end of the Torah right into the beginning of the Torah. What is the end of the Torah? Before the eyes of all of Israel. Right? And then what's the beginning? What's the beginning? Breshis. Before the eyes of all of Israel, God created the heavens and the earth. (laughs) Meaning to say that when God took us out of Egypt, He showed us that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Before the eyes of all of Israel... God created the heavens and the earth. Here you see 
the simultaneity of Yitzhak Mitzrayim leaving Egypt and God as creator. All right, I have to tell you something so strong. This is maybe the strongest. So God took us out of idol worship, out of avodazora. What does avodazora mean? Literally, it means strange worship. Now listen to this. This is totally heartbreaking, completely heartbreaking. So Rabbi Shlomo teaches, you know what avodazora is? You know what strange worship is? Worshiping God not on your true level. Because if you're holding here, and you're worshiping God here, that's a strange worship. Because that's not really who you are. So what happens when we eat matzah? We're purifying ourselves. We're discovering the truth within ourselves. We're getting back to our level. Right? We're getting back to that foundational place where we can begin to grow in a true way. Now I'll tell you something else. And we're wrapping it up. This is so awesome. From the Ishvitzer Rebbe, he talks about, you know, Thursday night, we have something called Bedikas Chametz, one of the most special holy moments of the entire year. We've cleaned the house at this point, but now we're getting rid of any last chametz. And normally speaking, at this point, our house is clean of chametz, but we put maybe in a uh, little Ziploc bag or whatever it is, 10 Ziploc bags, little pieces of bread, because we don't want the crumbs to spread around, and we position them around the house. We don't hide them too much. It's not a treasure hunt. It is a treasure hunt, but it's not a treasure (coughs) hunt. We don't want to not be able to find it, is the point. We turn out the lights, we light a candle, we make a blessing. This is one of the rare mitzvahs that you only say this blessing once a year. We make the blessing, and by candlelight we're searching for those ten pieces of bread, right? This is the idea of uprooting evil, right? And from our own hearts too. So let me ask you a question. If you want to look for something that's lost, are you going to look for it in the daytime or the nighttime? Look for it in the daytime. A child can tell you that. So what are we doing? We're making this search in the nighttime. So listen to what the Ishpitzer Rebbe says. You know what we're looking for? At nighttime is galus. Nighttime is exile. There's so much darkness in the world. There's so much darkness in our lives. We're trying to find ourselves. We're lost and we're trying to find ourselves. And I want to add to that, which is how did God lead us through the desert at night with a pillar of flame? And how are we directing our search? With that candlelight. It's the pillar of flame in the desert that God led us by. And we're trying to figure out what role we want to play in the world. And I'll tell you something. To me, those words hit me as some of the deepest words I ever learned. Because, you see, you can ask yourself from now to the rest of your life, who am I? What am I? 
And you know what? There's a good chance you're never ever going to be able to answer that. But here's a question that you can answer. What role do I want to play in the world? You see, Western society wants to tell you that unless you're a millionaire and a movie star, that you have no role to play in this world. Go home. Give up. You have no role. But we see with our own eyes that all of us are playing a role in this world. All of us are. So obviously all of us are playing a role in the world. So the question is, what role do I want to play in the world? And when you discover and you decide what role you want to play in the world, you have found yourself. You have 100% found yourself. You say, you know something? I can deliver boxes to families that need food on Shabbos, Tamchei Shabbos. I want to play that role in the world. Okay, so Thursday night, go sign up for Tamchei Shabbos, deliver boxes. You say, I want to be that person who helps feed people on the street. Okay, so whatever it is, next time you go to Ralph's, buy an extra little something. Buy a bag of, you know, the fun pack of mini candy bars. You'll always have like a little piece of candy to give someone on the street. You can decide what role you want to play in the world. And when you decide that, you will decide who you are. And now, for real, we're going to finish. I'll tell you something, again, from the B'nai Asaskar. So he had a custom. He would go, he was also known as the Din of a Rebbe. He would go and he would, like, listen outside to how some of his Hasidim would make their Seder, to see if he could get an insight. And this is what he heard one year. He heard a Chassid, a simple Chassid, saying the following about the four sons, okay? When we read about the four sons, we say, concerning the four children, the Torah speaks, one is wise, one is wicked, one is simple, and one doesn't know how to ask, okay? But listen to how he heard this chassid saying the following, right? Um, You see, when we say Shema Yisrael, there's a custom to stretch out the word for Echad. So you say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Right? So this is how he heard this chassid, this simple chassid, right? Saying over this. Keneged arbavanim divra Torah Echad Chacham Echad Rasha Echad Tam he was blessing all the different children, all the different personalities, that they should all receive the oneness of God. So Hashem should bless us. This Seder night, we really should be really taken on eagle's wings. Amen. Back to Yerushalayim. Amen. Right, we should already be in Yerushalayim. We should see the base of Migdash. We should bring the Korban Pesach this year, Mamash. Amen. 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 Amen.